1.37 p.m. Cannabis State of the Union, Episode 2, Weed Over the Last Decade. We will be discussing the transition from backpack to briefcase, featuring one of the world's leading cannabis farmers, Brandon Melendez, founder of the Originals, together with rock music icon Shavo Odoshian from System of a Down and new cannabis brand 22 Red. We will be discussing the past, present, and future of cannabis with a focus on the last decade. Our guests are both rock stars in their own world. Shavo quite literally as being the bass player for the Grammy award-winning billion YouTube views on a single video, Rock Revolutionary, with his band System of a Down. And Brandon, who's engineering and developing state-of-the-art cannabis infrastructure to launch the biggest brands in the world. Even though they come from completely different worlds, they both recognize what I call the other. The other means a mutual respect across industries, both people from the top of their game with ultimate respect for each other. The pro athlete respects the actor, the actor respects the musician, the musician respects the entrepreneur, and so on. I've known Brandon for close to a decade, starting when I would visit him at his off-the-beaten-path dispensary in the cuts of downtown Los Angeles. Now, 10 years later, he's grown into owning and operating his family-run business into the most impressive facility producing the best weed I've ever seen. I've had the pleasure of working with Brandon, developing his originals corporate identity and packaging through my company, Green Street. And Brandon introduced me to Shavo a few years ago, so I figured they'd be the perfect fit for this episode of the show. So Brandon, we're going to start with you, okay? So after putting so many years of hard work and dedication into this you know, industry, you're really an expert, right? You, you've, you've had uh, different dispensaries, cultivations, brands, events, so much more. I want the people to understand just how much you've done. So can you just please give us like a little background about yourself, you know, uh, how you got in you know, to what you're doing and really what drew you into the cannabis industry? Yeah, 100%. You know, I mean, in the beginning of this, guys, you know, it was all just for the love of the flower, which it continues still to to this day is. But, you know, before, um, my family just kind of was around marijuana. We grew up in it. It was just part of the culture. You know, I, I keep, you know, one of the biggest words that we use all the time or, or phrases is West Coast weed culture. And I, I honestly believe that my family is the pure definition of that, that, that West Coast weed culture. We grew up in it. I was around it. I'd see my uncles, I'd see my cousins with half-living joints in their ears walking to my grandma's house. Grandma time to get out, grandma time to, to take that outside. Um, you know, and, and to the fact that my uncles were growing in, in not large scale, but you know, growing in people's backyards and garages and stuff. Wasn't quite old enough to understand exactly what was going on, but it was around me. Um, and I grew up around it, you know, it was just part of something that like wasn't bad in, in terms of the way we looked at it. There wasn't no negativity, there wasn't a stigma, not, at least with, not with my family. So, you know, when we got into it, it was just their love of the leaf, started smoking it. We loved it. We didn't even know how to make a dollar off of it. And then one day it actually said, hey, you know what? Let's start growing our own. And it was out of actually necessity to support our own habit. We said, you know what? Why don't we grow our own weed? We're, we're buying bunches from everybody else. Why don't we just try this out? And, and believe me, we tried it. And it was not the best, but we believed it was at that time. You know, it was better than anything we had grown before since it was the first time. So that, that probably started happening probably close to 20 years ago. I'd say it was probably closer to 17, 18 years where, where we planted our first seed in somebody's backyard and kind of just seen how it grew. Uh, didn't grow up to the standards of anybody what we'd want today to smoke. But back then it was just, it was, it was something that was just amazing to us to know that, hey, we can do this. 
and there's a lot of people around us that would support us and that actually have that green thumb because we know it's impossible without having somebody who has a green thumb. There's no way that that, that plant would grow the way that you need to nurture it and especially the, the, the certain dispositions that, it, that the plant has. So it originally started from that. It honestly was around my family. We, we started smoking it. I was probably at the age of about 13 or 14. I'm the youngest of three brothers, so everybody was older than me. Um, it was junior high school into high school. Then after, out of high school a few years later, that's when we said, why don't we just start growing it? Um, it kind of just, it started from that, from us seeing the plant and, and it developed into something that we wanted to nurture. And again, our, our, my family's goal has always been to, to get the best product. We've always felt that we've always been searching continuously to get the best. You know, we always say California's best. Uh, clearly there are better people that do what they do than us, but it's a mind frame for us. It's a, it's a mind frame that we, we want to tell ourselves that we're always trying to strive for the best, you know? And, uh, and in terms of the things that we've done, yeah, we, I can say that, you know, I've been involved in probably over 15 uh, projects that we were cultivation projects. You know, uh, retail, you've been involved in over 20 of them. You know, unfortunately, uh, part of the story is, you know, the ups and downs that the cities and the states have been allowing this. Um, you know, they, they've been allowing it for three or four years and then it's a campaign year and they don't want to allow it. So they kick everybody out of the city. So we were involved with that. You know, that was kind of the, uh, the way the industry would go, especially in the Prop 215 days. Um, it was kind of really a gray market. So we we're just kind of playing the old whack-a-mole that everybody else did. It was kind of shutting down, opening up, shutting down, opening up, still still following the, the guidelines that they gave us for 215, but it was always the temperament of the cities that was changing on us. You know, over time, you know, again, they, they would take taxes from us for a long period of time, and then there would be a hot issue coming around, and uh, somebody would want to be voted in office, and they try and get rid of marijuana. And we were always that hot issue, unfortunately. But throughout that time, I'd say, uh, you know, over 15 grows, over 20 retail shops that my family's been involved in, whether, uh, you know, we're, we're growing for them or whether we're helping them source the materials, we were involved in some aspect or another. So we've, we're, we're pretty well-rounded in terms of the retail space, cultivation. I always say that my family's good at really two good things. Uh, best at it, actually, is growing wheat and selling it. Um, we don't try and wear all the other hats in terms of marketing, accounting, and all this other stuff. We let, we let other people who know that business deal with it. But, um, but for us, it's always been growing weed and selling has been the, the two fundamental things that we've always believed uh, was going to put us in the position that we are in today. And it's because we put such emphasis on our product and that we, what we're trying to keep the best that I believe are, that's why we're here today dealing with a lot of different companies who need our product. They, I mean, they were trying to build brands without actually, you know, producing the product, which to me, I just don't understand how any marijuana brand today can be built in that way. But, um, but in terms of experience, you know, I can say that my family and my group, you know, we have probably over 100 years, 150 years of, of cumulative experience in our heads that we now apply to our craft. And we always say we try and master our craft. And, and it takes a team of people to put together all that information and to figure out what works for us and what doesn't. Uh, so today, today, it's a wealth of information that I, that I know that our group has that a lot, a lot of other groups are missing today. A lot of other groups just, just bypass that step and don't really think that that's a strategic thing to have is that wealth of information. I know in today's market, that's what puts us uh, a lot farther ahead than anybody else today. Yeah, that's amazing. My mom, you know, always had weed growing up. Ever since I can remember, weed was part of my household. Shavo, what was your experience the first time you saw or smelt weed? Did you remember it? Like, um, Okay, so in my house, it was a little different than uh, yours. It wasn't accepted too well. I come from an Armenian family. I was born in Armenia. I, I migrated, my family, like about 30 of us, migrated to America when I was five years old in 79, and I moved to Hollywood. But 
So the first time I got the vibe of it was, you know, I was a skateboarder playing guitar all over, and there was kids that would smoke. Kids, meaning 16, 18 year olds that would smoke. I was eight, nine, and I would see it and I would smell it. I was curious about it, but it, it was always like, you know, cocaine, heroin, marijuana, same. That's how my family looked at it because they didn't know any better, you know? Um, throughout the years, I grew up and um, I had a different thing about it. You know, I, I wasn't a drinker, I wasn't anything really in high school. I kind of was a good kid where I didn't do any of that stuff. But uh, first time I got, I actually tasted it, I, <laughs> I smoked it, was at a Metallica show. Uh, I was about 18 years old and it was Metallica and Guns N' Roses at the Rose Bowl. And uh, we were in, I was just kicking it with my friends that don't smoke. And um, they, they were passing it throughout the aisle. There was some guy smoking and I was like, yo, pass it over here. And I just threw that out there just to be funny. and. Uh, some dude passed it to me and I was like, oh, is that moment, like, do I do it? And everyone looked at me like, oh shit, he's about to do it. He's the crazy one in the bunch. And I took it, I took a hit, gave it back. All right, this is pre-COVID, of course. Took a hit and uh, it didn't really feel much because I didn't know what to expect, but it kind of eased it up for me. So after that, whenever a friend smoked or someone else did it, I kind of took a puff with them. Wasn't an avid smoker until pretty much we started System of a Down, me and Darren, uh, our, our guitar player, and he smoked a lot. So uh, before we even had a drummer, him and I would drive to Alvarado, Alvarado and Hoover, like Pico area, and uh, we would buy it off the street from like the dude selling it on the street. We'd be like, Papa, come here, you know, but, you know, then he would give it, we'd get like nickel sacks and we would get like dime sacks, whatever we can afford. Like him and I would put five together, grab some, drive to the studio, roll them up or smoke them in those old graphic bongs, and graphics. Remember those old plastic graphics? Yeah. We do that and we talk about how great the band's going to be and what we're going to do and how it's going to work out. And so that turned me into a smoker where I can, I realized, you know, it's not what, it's not what I was told it was. It's, it's not that drug that I thought it was and how it actually, you know, helped with some stuff in my life, you know, where it made things easier to deal with. And like I said, I wasn't a crazy smoker until then. And I started smoking daily at that point. And so that was the First time I actually got my shovel. Shovel. Where yeah. do you, when do you think you started seeing the transition from that weed that I know you're talking about, the seeds, the brick? That's what, that's what I grew up on. That's what we when had. Do you yeah. Think you started seeing that transition to becoming better because I know when that happened for me. But when when did you around start the same that? time? Probably around '95. Yeah. Around '95. Yeah, that's I, that's I, clearly that's what I was going right? to say. Late '90s. There was there was this house off of 52nd Street down South Central. And um, you would throw 50 bucks and it was like a gated door. You would put 50, get a 50 sack of Kush. And that's where the first time I had the church, which it, it, it was Bubba. But to me, that was church because it smelled like frankincense when you blew it out. So that was like the ultimate. Whenever we hooked that up, it was like, forget that other stuff, you know? And it kind of, you know, we started spending more money, um, but we were smoking less. It was, it was so crazy. We'd get a sack like this and like make it last all night through little rips, you know? It was... Uh, but it, it got us way higher than it, those bricks did with the with the stems and. The oh yeah, stems. I mean, but that's that's what we grew up on. I said '90s. I, I was born in the '80s, grew up in the '90s, and I, you know I wasn't blessed with that better quality until the late '90s. You know, so there was a whole yep. decade almost that it came off of a brick, you know, smelling like gas, not the type of gas that we saw today, like oh, gas out of the gas tank uh, with orange peels and everything to keep it fresh. 
You know, so it wasn't until like the, exactly. <laughs> so it wasn't the mid, the mid to the late nineties where we, again we started seeing uh, chronic, right? Because even Christian wasn't around there. It was, it was like ninety six, ninety seven, maybe. Yeah, more right? about and then you started getting into the BC. You started getting into the Bubba's. A lot of those, a lot of the, the Canadian stuff again started coming down at that time. So we we really started seeing better quality stuff. But to me, again, uh, by the same timeline was uh, mid to late nineties is when you started seeing the shift of the better quality product uh, coming out of the market, you know? Um, so yeah, I was just curious on that because it's the same timeline uh, for us and my family also. And then to what Guama was saying, you know, even with the marijuana has been in my family, you know, my, my, family's kept, my family's kept it in jars for a long time as ointment, right? That's how it actually started for me seeing it when, when I was able to see it. It was in jars that my grandfather would keep, you know, in alcohol. And he would use that as the ointment as opposed to using Van Gay or any of those things at that time. And um, I didn't realize it, but that was the stuff that he'd be rubbing into my grandmother's shoulders, into her feet, into her, her knees and stuff. It was all these like 10 bottles that my grandfather used to have in his garage that was just, just the plant soaking in alcohol. Um, you know, so they were on to something even before I, before I realized it. Honestly, I wish to this day that my grandfather was around because I never got a chance to have that conversation with them. But, but, um, but again, they, they knew about these things before I did. So it's a true testament that they were already working for them. You know, it was already working for them in some medicinal factor because they weren't getting high on it. My grandmother never got high. She didn't smoke or drink, but she was using that ointment. So, um, you know, so clearly these guys knew that there was, there was something that they found out early on and it worked for them. Uh, and clearly to this day, people do the same thing. You know, to this day, everybody has a topical in ointments and they're just got, they've just gotten better than what they were when we were, when my grandfather was using that brick weed to put it in there. You know, it wasn't as potent as the, the product is today. So, so I, so I want to talk about that, Brandon. Like you're kind of talking about turning from a hobby into a business. When did it switch? When did this switch from just growing it for yourself to turning it into a business? I'd say it probably actually started about the first wave of licensing, you know, in 2006. Uh, you know, fortunately, my family was able to be part of that that initial wave of licensing and grab a few of those first 10 licenses that were given out. Uh, you know, to this day, people know them as, as pre-ICOs. Um, you know, that was that kind of the grandfathered in. Uh, so we kind of seen that switch in 2006. We didn't really have, we didn't know what, uh, you know, business formation or we didn't know how to, how to form a company or anything like that. So we needed to have that in order to be able to get our license and to be under the 215. Uh, so that's when we went into the... Uh, nonprofit organization, you know, we started doing that. That's how you had to get that Prop 215 license and kind of seen that shift from 06 to 08. I seen a lot of people that we would be doing business with, a lot of relationships that we had done before that, making the same shift. Uh, they said they all decided on saying, hey, let's get into the medical stage. Let's get into this market because one day it will become recreational. I think we all believe that in our back of our heads and say, you know, one day this has to turn legal. But if this is the avenue that we have to take, I think all of us were, were willing to take that. Again, you know, not everybody, I can't say everybody in the market, but those few that, that did have that vision of seeing kind of where this was going to go in big picture, uh, kind of made that shift in about 06 and 08 is where I can see that most of the bigger players that we know that I dealt with here in California decided to make that transition from, from that traditional side of, of, of the business over to now this nonprofit structure with these entities and paying taxes and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, cause I really want to ask why you chose to invest so much into an industry that's still so far away from being mainstream, but really you basically believe that it was going to turn mainstream. You saw that medical was going to be a path to acceptance beyond that. 
100%. You know, I also, I have this vision and I've had everybody in my family follow along and I just kind of said like, you know, one day this is going to happen. I, I don't see how it couldn't. Um, but I also believe that there's this, this medical platform that we needed to pass through. There was this small step that we had to go and pass through before the, the larger steps. And, and I believe that smaller, those smaller steps, that platform was medicinal. That's what that was, you know, and all, and you know, the, the, uh, the, the way that they put it together, the state of California was never a, a successful model for us. It, it never was. Um, it was just a model that we had that was better than nothing, you know, but in terms of, of where it's at even today, uh, the models, the models against us, to be honest with you, it's not a, it's not a good successful business model that they created in California. It's one of the worst. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the taxes that are burdensome. Uh, there's so many layers of stuff that we have to go through that no other industry has to at all. Period. There's just not, there's no other industry has to deal with it like what we did. Um, so again, I, I believe that today they're kind of, you know, figuring out a way to choke out the small guys. Um, and in a few years, they're going to correct it. Every market has a correction. This isn't going to be different. The marijuana market will have a correction, a soft correction. I believe that's when better uh, incentives will come, better taxes will come, better all of the things will come that are make it more, it'll just make it more appealing to businesses because as of right now, businesses want to run out of California. You know, most businesses want to run out of California and establish in other states because it's more beneficial to them to do that there. Here, the margins are so thin. Um, I know a lot of people today who don't make any money right now in this in this marijuana business. They just keep the doors open. You know, they're just trying to keep the doors open so that in a few years from now, when those taxes do get better, they're thinking that that's when they can make money. Fortunately, my family today was able to keep our cost of goods down because we grow our own product. And I believe that's the only reason why we're competitive today. That's it. I mean, that, that literally is it. If we weren't growing our own product, um, I don't know how you'd be in business today, at least not profitable. Not to say that you wouldn't be in business, but again, you're, you're paying, uh, you're, you're, you're using your money to pay the lights and to pay your payroll, not actually to build the company or there's no growth in company. That's why I believe a lot of these guys do all these raises is because they're really not making money. And fortunately, and we're blessed that my family was able to create a good product and, and cultivate it and also own our vertical licenses all the way through with cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, and retail where today my family doesn't need uh, help of anybody at this point. You know, we can do everything from grow the plant to package it to sell it in our retail stores. Um, and we're very blessed to be in that position because if we didn't have one of those licenses, we would have to partner up with somebody who did. And now the margins are gonna go from 10% down to three. Um, you know, so so it just it really helped us out with that business model. But again, um, you know, it just has to get better. The, the market has to correct itself. There, there was a word that was never being used before and that's compliance. Never mind, none, nobody in the world knew what compliance was before any of this legal market came. Uh, and now it's, it's a real thing. Compliance is, is, is a real thing. And, and there's a lot of money that needs to be dedicated to that to make sure that we're doing everything the right way. Um, and again, you know, the taxes are so thin that there's just very little over after we do with all our compliance issues and task issues. It's just very, very little bit left. Yeah, I got it. So I want to talk about a little bit of that in a minute. So, so Shavo. You've had like an almost unparalleled music career, okay? Now you're splitting your time between music and cannabis. When I first met you, you seemed like you forgot you were a rock star. And I wanted to say like, I, I'm sure that helped you in navigating business and stuff and just checking your ego at the door. Was that a hard thing to do? Or have you always been like humble like this? No, the thing with me is I never ever acted like a rock star except on stage. Because when I'm on stage, like, I play a rock star on TV. But if I ever acted like a rock star, I have a lot of family and friends that I kept from day one. I haven't like, I'm not one of those people that, oh, this is what I do for a living. So here I go. I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to act like a rock star. I'm going to have rock star friends and movie star friends. And I'm going to leave my people behind. That's not who I am. So because I've kept my real people, my people keep me in check. 
um, having said that, I've always thought of like, you know, just because I was given the opportunity to, to do what I do, what I love as a living, I think that's a gift. That's I'm grateful for it. So why would I take that and run and be a jerk to people and act up and pretend like I'm better than them? I'm just given a bet, a good opportunity, and I took it. You know what I mean? And I took it and I parlayed it, and here I am being doing that. And I've kept, kept the same mentality with this, you know? Um, I've been asked that question before, and my answer is the same. You know, I'm the same person before I was, before my band got signed and we got successful, how, uh, whatever you rate successful as. But uh, I'm still the same guy, and anyone who knows me, especially that guy we just saw, that I told you I've known him since fifth grade, I'm the same guy, and I won't change. And if I change, I know people that will probably let me know that I'm changing, but it still hasn't happened. But uh, So when it comes to this world, I just, you know, I've learned a lot in the last 20-some years of, because I managed System of a Down for the beginning, you know what I mean? I did the first three years of managing before I found a manager that can actually take on the load that I created when we created as a band. Um, the first two, three years in Hollywood, getting shows, making the demos, doing all the marketing, doing all the video stuff, doing all the, I mean, I, I would take my dad's big camcorder and I would be all over it. I mean, I have it set on stage. I have it, I have someone else with a little one on the other side. And then I would take those videos and I would get VHS, two VHS things, um, players and I would edit stuff. And I was doing all that before I knew that that was actually like marketing or videography or making a film. I had no idea, you know, but I was just doing it because it was a passion. Um, I think I've kept my passion with both, you know, that's the thing. I think that anything successful, you need to be, you need to be passionate about and, and love, you know, I couldn't do this. This is not a game I came into because I wanted to just make money. It was something that was, was in my DNA. In the past 20 years, I've experienced a lot of cannabis from the time I just told you about the first time smoking it at the Metallica show to then because of my band ending up in Amsterdam d during a High Times event, which was the big cannabis cups back then, before it was all over America, it was only back then, meeting Aryan, who was a strain hunter back in the day from Green, um, what was it, um, uh, the, the Greenhouse uh, you know, uh, Seed Company, I met them accidentally and we bonded because of my connoisseurness of weed my my taste for it you know they were just trying to bless me we were on tour there and we had a show and someone had given me a number saying this guy has the real shit non-tourist shit this is the guy that's going to smoke the best strains ever i hit him up i met him didn't know i was meeting the, the, the king of cannabis so you know which he called himself back then he probably still is still today um and when he asked when he gave me two ounces of two of his best strains i said you know what let me give you this back and let me get like two grams of every strain instead of like two ounces of two strains you know what i'm saying because i wanted to taste it all in cali we didn't have that that where we can taste 20 different kinds of weed it was just like whatever we can get out of that door i'm telling you that's what i would smoke you know um now there's a menu so that kind of became my thing. I became a connoisseur, kind of like wine. I sat there after he gave it to me and he looked at me, you know, like, damn, you really like it that much? I'm like, I swear, dude, that's what I'm about when it's not about just getting high. You could smoke enough of any weed and get high. To me, it was just like, let me look at, see how it looks, how it tastes, how it smells, how the high is. Uh, there, I realized what a sativa was, what an indica was back in 98. That's when we were there. Uh, so that kind of turned me into this whole thing. That's where it all started. And, and, and uh, I can, and I can also testify that myself. 
Chavo, because this is a real smoker, man. I, I, I mean, this is a real thing with the, with the partnership that I have with him. He comes in and he smokes every flavor that I have in, in the whole catalog. And then he picks the one that he wants. And then we make it exclusive for him in his 22 red. You know, so I really love that about Chavo. I really do that. He actually wants to see what it does to him. If it makes him more artsy, if it turns him down, if it, whatever it does, he's, I've heard it all out of him. He's, he's, he sends me everything. Uh, so I really like the fact that before anything comes out to market, he asks for me to give him the first look and he goes and he tries anything that, that, that we have coming out. And he, he specifically says this one work and this one doesn't for me. So that's all he wants in his jars or the thing that he works for him and the things that he can say that this is a, this is something, the product that I use myself. And unfortunately today, 95% of the people who are building brands don't do that. They're not saying that they don't use the product. They don't even know what it's used for. Shavo isn't one of them. Shavo from day one has always asked me, I don't want anything in my jar until I smoke it. So let me smoke it. Let me see how it feels. Let me make sure it checks off every box on my list in order for me to put it in my jar. And, and I really love that about Shavo. So again, I'm just adding more of what he's saying in terms of how much he loves the flower and his due diligence. And again, I would I love these type of partnerships. And unfortunately, not everybody is like that. though. What else are you learning from each other? Well, I've learned a lot from him because he's, you know, when I met, uh, when I met um, uh, Brandon, it, it was like, I first of all, notice the quality of all his stuff you know what i mean which was the one of the first points where it was like i want to go with him i want him to grow my stuff i want him to be one of my main 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 people that grow and where i get my flower from um two it was his loyalty to his family it was very very important and i have that with my family so it was a bonding thing where i saw how it was a family business because i hadn't met that before you know before it was like a guy doing it trying to make as much money as possible i noticed what he's doing he's got his brothers around him i met all his both brothers i've met everyone over there as a family when i walk in to his grows whichever one i go into um i feel like i'm at home i feel like it's part of my family you know we've kind of become that in the last two years um, and so I've learned that, which is like, he's got some other different vibes in there that others don't. And I've been to many, you know, I've been introduced. I'm not into white labeling, dude. I can't like, cause I've noticed how they do it. They just have bags of weed and go here. We have this, this is this price. He actually knows exactly what strains he has. He knows exactly how, what it took to grow that strain and how important it is to like treat it a certain way and to dry it a certain way you know so i learned a lot that about him you know and w through him uh, is how to stay um stay humble it's it's, it's an, another part of it you know what i mean it's, and to be the best at what you do you know he said something prior to you though maybe we're not the best at, you're probably one of the best bro in la that you grow and you're very loyal and humble to what you do which is great it's very important so yeah. And same thing with me, with, with, with Shavo, I know, um, you know, the way that he looks at his music, <laughs> that's, that's clearly, it's, 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 we're just on the other side, the, the way that he looks at his music and talks about his music when he goes and records, it's just all passion. I know that the money isn't driving Shavo and, and it's not driving me and my family either. It's us wanting to produce the best thing that we possibly can. And I've always thought that with Shavo. I've always thought that with Shavo. It's like I've always heard his long studio sessions and all of this stuff and him, him coming up with new ideas. And, and it's a passion. And I, and I see it in him and I feel it off him. These things are, you can feel these things with people. I'm a, I'm a true believer that, that, there's, there, you know, that there's energy out there because I believe it because I see it in my plants. I know that when my plants, you know, have that energy and there's good energy around them, they just do better. And I also know that, you know, when they're not getting any attention to them and nobody's gone in that room for 12 hours, I can see them just not looking the way that they should. 
So I, that's one of the things with Shavo that I've seen is his energy is up there and it can match ours because I'm a true believer in that. I don't like it. I don't like lowering my energy to anybody else and I shouldn't have to. I want them to match mine or bring more to my table or go into my rooms and let my girls in there when I talk about my girls, all my plants, let them feel all that good energy. And when Shavo does, he does that. He brings that energy. I definitely know when he's in the building. I know everybody's, there's a buzz going on in the building. He stays in my building for hours on end. He takes pictures. He talks. He goes and talks to the growers. He goes to the trim room, talks to the trimmers, goes in the dry room, talks to the dry room. So this is, it's not a PR thing to him, you know, because again, first couple of times, yeah, we're taking pictures, but the last 150 times, we're not taking pictures of it. He's just there, just being himself. So it's not a PR stunt for either side of us. We just actually care genuinely about what we do. And, 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 and again, passion, you have to have passion to be in this. The money can't be the driving force because I tell growers all the time, if you're chasing money, you're never going to find it. You're going to, you're going to keep chasing it. You know, you're going to keep chasing it. So you have to, you have to, you have to charge yourself with something else. And I believe that's quality, man. you got to charge yourself and say, I want to grow the best quality product there is out there, whether it be music or marijuana. But if you get to that level and you have the best and you're achieving the best, the money comes after that. The success comes with that. All that comes off of that. But you can't build a brand off of crappy weed or crappy music, uh, in my opinion, you know? Since I come from a band that, like, pretty much we're quality music, you know? So my my background is that I don't want to taint it with having ass weed and say, oh, you know, he's good at that, but he's bad at this. It's very important, man. It's so important. And, um, yeah, you said it all, man. You said it all. Very important. Oh, and, you know, like, also, I've been asked since – Oh, eight. Uh, you should get into weed. You know, people see how much I've smoked and well, how much of a connoisseur I am. And they've come to me since then saying, oh, you should make like the Shavo OG and you should make Shavo Select and this and that. And I'm like, dude, you do what you do best and I'll do what I do. I smoke right now. I don't have the means of like creating the best shit. So I'm not going to be representing it if I'm not 100% clear of it. And then once we, I met, not met, I mean, I have friends with, for a while, but once I saw how good he was, which I'm talking about Surreal, uh, which is a mutual friend of both of ours. Um, when I saw the quality, and he's who brought me to Brandon and said, this is the quality. And I said, oh wow, I see the same quality in what he's doing, that's how we became friends and, and business partners. Once I saw that, and that was in 2017, I said, all right, now I think I can do this. You know what I mean? I feel like I can represent something badass. And you know, um, and I do what I do best and I rep what they do best. And then together we do what we do, you know, and I think that's a great way where you know what you're good at and you do that and you let the ones that do what they do best do it. And you kind of combine, it's like having a football team and everyone can't be the quarterback. You have to have a good quarterback, but a good quarterback without a great wide receiver is not, is going to throw the ball to who, you know, you need someone to catch that great pass, you know? So I think we're a great team and that's how it worked for me. I love that. I love that. So, so we talked about it earlier, but I, I, I'm gonna bring back to it. I'm super bullish on California. I believe that almost every national brand always comes out of California or New York, whether it's fashion, art, music, entertainment, whatever it is. Brandon, I know you're focused on California. Are there plans to expand to other states? A hundred percent, man. The plans are in motion today, uh, but we also know that we got to create a footprint here in California. Uh, and be comfortable. I don't want to overexpand. I don't want to overreach. I know a lot of companies, that's, that's where they did the misstep. They did the misstep when they tried going to Nevada, to Arizona, didn't have the people, had one grower. Now they have three grows. Just didn't make sense that they just did it so fast without having the infrastructure built in. So I'm really, 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 it's really important for me and my family to build that infrastructure. 
build that infrastructure here, uh, just replicate it throughout California, Southern California, Northern California, Central California. Make sure that our model works here. Right now, we're very blessed, very fortunate. We have 800 employees in the city of Los Angeles. So I think we can do that in, in Northern Cal and Southern Cal and, and, and down, down South even more. But we got to make sure that it's up to our standards because I can't replicate this thing and now our quality goes down. That's something completely that can't happen with our company because we're built off of this, this idea of being the best. And again, I, I just want to say it again, we don't chase money. I do not chase money. That's not what we do. We want to make sure that we're producing the best quality out there. So in order for us to do that, we have to make sure that our footprint here is 100% ready to go somewhere else. And I'm in no rush to do it. I am in no rush to do it. These are things to me that just aren't like, you know, let's get up and go and let's get the big money play and let's go mining for gold somewhere else. I don't need to do that. And to your point, Rama, I believe that any big company out there, any big cannabis company out there, I believe needs to have some type of home in California. Not to say that they 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 couldn't do without it, but, uh, but we all know it starts in the West. It all starts here and it moves to the East. When it comes to the trends in marijuana, this is where it starts. This is exactly where people look at to us to see what's going on, what flavors you're going on, what's what's the hottest stuff on the market today. And then they go take it across the whole United States. So so to to, to answer your point, Rama, yes, of course, we're gonna we're planning on going and building a lot of lights out of uh in the United States from here all the way to New York. Uh, but we're taking our time right now. There's a few things on our radar. Uh you know, we're talking Nevada, Arizona, Oklahoma, out towards Florida, up to New Jersey, and a lot of places in between. Um, we've had every chance to go in everybody's backyard. We've actually said no more times than we've said yes, right? And that's just because that's the, the model that we believe that it's just not right yet. We're not there yet, um, but we're really close to being there. We're really close to being there and, and making sure that everything is is run uniform within my company, that we, we have a strong uh, standard procedure set up there because at some point I am going to run out of people. That's just inevitable. I, I, only, I only have so many people in my network so I'm going to go out there, go outside of my network and I need to make sure that people know that there's good quality control that's there to make sure that every process is, is, is done the same way as if it was here in our backyard in East LA, Boyle Heights, downtown LA. You know, so we're just taking our time. There's no reason for us to rush. That market will be there. It will be there. And unfortunately for other people, I'm going to get to that market and I'm going to pay a tenth of the cost of what it cost me to get into that market but they, than what they paid to get into it. You know what I mean? Because everybody out the gate is going to pay tens of millions of dollars for these licenses and stuff. And I have a pretty good idea just because of the way that the California market is. If I just wait a few months or a year, a lot of these licenses will land on our on our, on our our lap and, and with the tenth of the cost or price tag. Or for me, rather go and partner it up with somebody and then handing me the license for free. Um, so that's just a matter of time that that happens. Sure. Amazing. So, Shavo, I know you're in a few states right now with, with your brand, 22 Red. What's the difference between California and the other places? And like, are you seeing any surprises, anything you ex didn't expect, good or bad, you know? Well, the laws are completely different everywhere, you know, just for the, because we also have hemp. We, we also sell hemp under a different uh, label. And for example, in California, you can't sell hemp and cannabis in the same place. You can't, you, you can't drop together. But in Nevada, you can. So that's one thing. But our business model is different in Cali than it is in any other state. We, when we go to another state, he's right in what he's saying. That's why we're in two other states. We've been asked to be in about seven. We could have gotten into maybe seven or eight more in 2020. We stayed. We we're only in Arizona, Nevada, and Cali. Um, we, we have more of a different, we have a, di a different type of business model. We don't go get licensed up. We partner up with people I make sure can do what we need done. And, uh, and I even send my partner who's, Surreal, what we're talking about, the main grower. He goes out there, he, he makes sure 
that they're up to par. If they're not up to par, he'll do what he does, make it up to par before we go there, including all the strains. It, it takes a while. We can't just go there with cuts because that, it doesn't work that way. It's not legal. So we have to build and take them seeds. And because we, I do want to have the same strains in every state and not have them only in one, you know. So we're building that way. And um, so far, it's been really nice and successful. Um, uh, we're in Arizona, I said. We're in Nevada. And we're doing really well, man. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to Nevada this weekend to check on the new concentrates we're doing there before they go to market. They just started doing concentrates for us. And so I need to go out there, make sure the strains are correct, make sure the concentrates are exactly what I need, or else we're not putting them in, a, in our jars. We're not selling them. You know what I mean? So that the quality control is, is mandatory. It's, it's necessary. If it's not there, we won't do it. Like he said, I'm not about to taint my brand in any state. I'm not about to get B-League shit. It needs to be, every state has to be selling what I would smoke. And uh, pretty much the same strains, minus one, adding one. Nevada has two strains we don't have in Cali. Arizona has about four we don't have in Cali. But we also have strains in Cali that they don't have there, which are uh, Brandon's stuff I got from Brandon. But there's stuff that I've had from other places that we have other spots that we grow at. Those I've had there, but it's been about it. It's been about nine months. That's what it takes from a seed to plant, you know, to get it right after the first few times. So it's a long process, man. It's not easy. It's not like we're one of those brands that can just be like, use our name, do whatever you want, put them in the jars, just give us the freaking uh, profits. That's the, that is a model out there. You know, that's a model that a lot of brands have where they, they don't, a lot of celebrity brands have that because, you know, they think these grows, these new distribution companies that are popping up all over the states, whenever a, a state goes legal, all of a sudden you see like 20 new places open up. Out of 2018 are falling apart. You know that, right? Like there's only two that are going to last. And, you know, the ones that did it right. And um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that Brandon's going to be moving his stuff around because, you know, it's, it's a, since we're partners here, we could be partners elsewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, Rama, is, you know, I think people missed up. Sorry, Shop, to cut you off, but they missed it because everybody wants to go into these other states real fast. And then they want to cut a deal with cultivation partners who they really don't know, you know, and now you're going to hand them over genetics that it took us years and years and years to do. And, and you're going to hand them over to a cultivation guy who's run a hundred lights in his, uh, you know, in his friend's warehouse. And that's totally different than running a thousand with 90 employees. You know what I mean? It's totally different. So now you're going to dilute that genetic, that genetic that took you so long and so hard to, to dial in. Now you're handing it over to somebody and, and they're going to make it trash. They're literally going to make it trash. I can't hand over my, my King Louie or my Oak or my Gelato. I would never do it, to be honest. But, but I know other people who have will hand it over genetics and they come out like trash. It's like sooner or later, the consumers are going to get smart. They're going to get smart. And, 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 you know, and unfortunately today, the consumers don't have enough, enough, uh, enough, uh, enough knowledge yet. They don't, they haven't understood that. But, but to me, that's part of this, this, this scam that I know that's going on with the biggest companies out there. Where they're, where, they're, where they're putting subpar product into a package and they're selling it from a premium. And, I don't, and I, I, don't, I don't like that at all because now people believe that all the big brands are doing that. I'm not associated with that. I actually put premium product in a premium bag or a premium thing, right? That's the problem today is that these companies are moving so fast, so quick that they're getting this outdoor depot product, putting it in this nice shiny jar, and then they're selling it for $75 out the gate. Well, the problem with that is, is one day the consumers are going to get smarter. They're going to be upset with all the companies out there. They're going to be upset. They're going to lose the trust that we've took so hard to build up. They're going to lose it overnight. Do these companies care? No, they don't because they're going to be gone in two years from now. 
It's the pump and dump. They're going to get them big. They want the sales. They're going to get rid of it. So they don't really care, but it's going to affect me. It's going to affect Shabu. It's going to affect the brands that are going to continue to be here. And now we, we lose that, 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 that honor system that we had, that trust that we had with the consumers. Now the consumers are saying, hey, the big top 10 companies out there, not only don't they not grow their own weed, but now they're actually charging us for subpar product. And sooner or later, the consumers will get smart. So I'm trying to make sure that people understand that, that we're not part of that. This brand isn't part of that. This group isn't part of that. We're, we're actually the guys that most of your big brands that you know today come and buy their product from us today. You know, and we have a joke. It's a funny joke that we have in retail. And it's, it's just, it's sad, but it's true. But it's the, the shinier the package, the, the shittier the wheat. When we see a nice shiny package come into the retail from the salesperson and we see it and it's perfect and it's platinum and it's gold and it has all these things on it, we can identify and we know that they spent more money on packaging than they actually did on the development of the product. Because when they open it up, it's something that nobody in my retail store would smoke. And if I show that to my grower, he'll laugh at it and say, are you serious? They're charging $70 for this, Brandon? Why don't we? And I tell him, why would we? Why would we? We've never done it before. Why would we start doing that today? The clientele that we have, the support system that I have, that's not these type of people that are willing to pay $70. We've been providing people since 2006 with this product that we make affordable. It's a premium product. It is. I can charge $70. If there's anybody in the market today that can charge $70, I believe it's my family. But we choose not to. We choose not to because we say we're, we're affordable. Premium is what we're going for. And again, I'm all about the culture. I'm all about the community. I actually care about them because I am that. Like I said, we are that West Coast weed culture. So I do care about it. It's something that I'm passionate about. And if we let all these big brands come in, they're just going to take pieces and pieces and pieces apart from us. And they're going to leave us at the end in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an industry that has no personality, no culture, because this is what they do. They're not planning on staying here and they don't care about us. They don't. They're going to do this and they're going to leave in a few years. We're still going to be here. So I want to make sure that people understand that that's not who we are. We're not those people. This company is something different. We actually provide a premium product and we do it at you affordable. So there's this scam that's going out there. And I hope that consumers out there recognize it. And they recognize that there's two different spheres of people, them and then people like us who are actually the industry, who is actually the culture, people who care about the product, people that care that we provide something great to everybody, not just the top 10% of people. I love it. So I, I, that is a perfect segue. So, uh, you know, I always talk about cannabis is really a community, right? And it's evolving into an industry. Our friend Eric uses the term from backpack to briefcase, which I love. And, you know, are you guys excited about this transition of federal legalization? It doesn't sound like it at all, right? Or you'd rather keep it as a tight knit community or, you know, let's talk a little more about that. I personally want it to last a little longer because I'm building a brand here. You know, I'm not trying to sell our brand off so quickly. Um, I, I still need time to like grow and, and re, you know, do what I'm doing. I just, we need, we need extra time. So I'm not looking forward to it in the next year or two at all. Um, that's my take on it. You know what I mean? I think I still have time. Like uh, what happened in Arizona, you know, um, Arizona, the supply went down when it went recreational because no one was ready for it. You know what I mean? It got too quickly too, uh, too uh, you know, out of the blue and now the quality is dropping over there so i'm pulling stuff back uh it's now i'm back we're back to where it was but for a second there it was looking bad i was like maybe we pull back you know but we got it to be where it is again uh, really quick um but it it's not to say that's not going to happen in all these new states that are popping up all, all, all over the place you know what i'm saying so you need to be careful you always need to be careful like brandon said you know, we're one of those groups that 
we really care about everything we're doing and we cannot, uh, we, we can't cheat or fool the consumer. The consumer knows, the, the right consumer knows what we're doing and uh, what is in, in that $75 jar, you know? Uh, the whole premium for an affordable price is where we're at together. And um, I personally can't stand what's going on with all those brands that come out and they, they, they flex with B-League weed and because of the beauty of their packaging. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, uh, to answer your question, I'd like it to last longer. Uh, eventually it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. Um, but um, that's why I'm working hard and fast, bro. You know what I mean? And I think, Rama, to answer that is um, these things have to happen in parallel, right? They have to happen in parallel. One can't get farther ahead of the other, right? We have to make this transition uh, both at the same time. Um, it's a double-edged sword, right? It's there to help you, but it's also there for you to land on, right? So if you're doing things wrong, uh, you know, this federal thing will hurt you. And I believe that if you're following the right path, if you're doing these things, it'll only help you when this happens. To give you an example, we're thinking about going out to Oklahoma right there because the cost of goods can be really low out there. That's one of the places in the United States right now that have really good incentives for marijuana, people like us, to go and cultivate. So the name of the game is, of course, get your cost of goods down as, as low as you can get them. Well, the only problem with Oklahoma is that I can't grow all the weed that I'm planning on growing out there because there's not enough people out there to consume that amount of weed that we're planning on growing out there. So the only thing that allow me at that time uh, to go out there and make that big move is that the state lines need to drop. The state lines need to drop at that same time, right? If I'm going to go out there and blow out 10,000 lights out there, that's great, but it's only good when I can send it over to New York, to Kansas, to Colorado, to all those places legally when I can do that. Now I'm not now I'm not tied into Oklahoma where there's, you know, 10% uh, of the population needs to smoke 100% of the weed. That's crazy. I don't even think I can get that done here in California. So these things have to run in parallel. They have to drop the state lines in order for us to really break this thing open um, and, and really say that, hey, guys, we can go and cultivate in this state. It makes sense for us. And then we can use that as a distribution hub. And it's going to be cheaper for me. We did the math, and it's just crazy what California does this. It's cheaper for me to grow weed in Oklahoma, ship it back to me in California, and sell it than it would be for me to actually grow the plant in California. That's how bad the system is today. And it's really unfortunate, but but the legality of the federal law has to happen at some point. I actually embrace it. I, I'm, I'm one of the guys that says, you know, I'm, I'm trying to line these things up in order for us to happen and be uh, have the first look of when it does happen. We'll be there. But again, I also know that there's a lot of people who aren't in my position um, that aren't going to be able to weather that storm when it comes. A lot of people that I know just aren't positioning themselves to do what we're doing, you know, um, and, and again, you know, to, to each their own, but I just know that that's inevitable. It's on its way. It's going to come. So we might as well prepare for it. Um, but it's going to bring a lot of stuff we don't want. There's going to be changes we do want. So it's going to have to just work that way for a while, just like any new change. Some people are going to be happy. Some people are, aren't going to want it. And, it, and we just have to meet in the middle at some point. And I'm hoping that happens within the next 10 years of our life that we find a happy medium that we all can play together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I say keep cannabis illegal. You know, we talked a lot about success. Now I want to talk about failure. You know, Brandon, was there ever a point where you doubted yourself after you got started or you lost a crop or got shut down? Anything that made you want to give up on pursuing this idea altogether? You know, um, and I think I touched on it earlier um, when I talked about some of these cities that allow us and then, and then shut the door on us. Um, you know, one of those times was about the 2012 big election year. So, you know, Obama, everything, these things were just it was hot topics. 
Um, and unfortunately, my family was caught in that crossfire. Um, we were kind of like, you know, we had a, a few shops that were all shut down at that time and a few groves. Um, we completely weren't doing anything illegal. We were within the legal guidelines, but because those cities didn't want it there no more, uh, they just kind of went from one day to the next saying, uh, we don't want you here. And, and, um, and yeah, you know, it was, it was a point where I did have to like really tell myself, is this something that I wanted to go through again and again? Because I had already gone through it a few times, but this time it was just so big of an impact on what we did. And there were so many lives impacted by it. There's probably over 200 people whose lives were impacted by that moment in particular, that day. Um, 200, 200 jobs that were lost, basically. You know, um, and I did. It was a, a lot of self-reflection that I had to do and say, you know, am I willing to do this? And then just the love that I have for this industry and the culture just kept me motivated and grounded. But did I have those thoughts? A hundred percent. Have I lost a crop? Many crops. I've lost so many crops, but I'm glad I lost them back then because in order for me to get to where I'm at today, I've had to have to lose something and I've had to have had, had some type of training and, and have learned some type of lessons. So I'm glad that I learned those lessons then because they were less expensive then than they would have been today. Today, these lessons would have been millions of dollars of, of now that we're going to lose a crop as opposed to then, you know, we're running 20 lights. You know, today, you know, some of my facilities have 1,200 lights. So, um, yes, I mean, I've lost plenty of, of crops. I've lost plenty of retail spaces. There's probably been once or twice in my life where I really had to reflect and say if I wanted to push forward. I believe that I made the right choice. And again, it wasn't money-based. It was more about providing people with jobs. I was like, man, I can't, I can't have these people inside them. This is going to get recreational one day. And now they get all the jobs taken from them and say, hey, there's no more hope. I'm going to push forward. I'm going to get the new jobs. I'm going to make more grows. I'm going to take them to other cities. Yeah, they may have to drive an hour, hour and a half, maybe even re relocate. But I have to offer them something else because I'm the one that gave them this dream about marijuana being legal one day. And I still believed that at that time was going to happen. Um, so, you know, it was just me being who I am in terms of helping people out and making sure that I follow through with what I promise. That really got me to keep moving forward. Um, and I just always truly believed that this would get legal. I always really believed that this would get legal one day. So that's what kept me motivated to continue through all these, these hurdles and these brick walls that we not only had to go through, but climb over uh, almost every year up until this point, you know? And we have a different set of hurdles moving forward. We know that this isn't like it's gonna stop. We're gonna have a different set of hurdles. We're gonna have a different set of problems. We're talking about federal government, compliance, taxes. These are things that we didn't have to deal with before. These are all things that are brand new to this industry. So um, these are different hurdles, different times. But again, I'm excited to be going through them. My family thinks we're preparing. We have a good group of people around us. I'm very blessed to have a good group of people that have just come to me and, 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 um, and we could depend on them and rely on them. Because again, it takes a lot of good people to make this thing move forward. Amazing. Shava, any, any like learning from failure kind of thing happening that you want to add to this? That's pretty much the name of the game, bro. Life is that, bro. So uh, I'm not gonna, you know, it is that from the band to life, from kids to just the little things I've invested in to this. Uh, whenever you fail, you learn. That's where I'm at. You don't stop. That's, if you stop, it's the worst thing you can do. It's like when you fall as a kid, you learn to get up. The reason why you fall off your bike is so you can learn how to get up and ride more. Same thing with this, bro. Anytime I've had a hurdle, I've jumped over it or I've waited till it's gotten stalled and I've, then I've stepped over it. It's just a way of life. So yes, bro, many, many, if we didn't have failures, we wouldn't have success. Um, so for sure. I love that. So, so, so Brandon, I can't have you up here without talking about or asking at least about Mike Tyson. 
You know, how do I not bring up Iron Mike? You know, I, I I saw his Broadway show. It blew me away. I'd recommend it to anyone that's maybe doesn't even maybe not sure on Mike or, or even dislikes him. You got to go watch this thing. He's one of the most important Americans in the history. You know, what's it like working with Mike Tyson? Is there any stories you can share or a quick little story or anything? I mean, you know what? You know, honestly, Mike, uh, Mike is a great person and a person who definitely is I'm talking about about the industry and the culture. You know, I get I get almost every big rapper, every big celebrity who wants to slap their name on a, on a jar has come to me to talk about beating the brand. So, so I'm real sensitive in, in how I deal with these things. And Mike was one of them in the beginning, to be honest with you. I had kind of this criteria that I needed to be I needed to be checked off before I, I wanted to, to do any of these collaborations with them. And Mike was one of them, you know, and I just needed to make sure that Mike was actually who he said he was. Um, and he is exactly who he said he was. I, I know I've, I've smoked with the guy over 10 times and in the beginning. I'm, I'm literally telling him like, Mike, do you even really smoke Mike? You know, like I had to meet him and really see before, before that last word came out of my mouth, he already had a joint living pass, passing it over to me. One on his ear and two of them being rolled by somebody else. I'm like, okay, well, this guy's a real smoker. He's a real smoker. Now this isn't, this isn't fake because I've had people be in my office and tell me they're going to build this brand for me, sell gazillion products for me. I've had my secretary look up their Instagram or look up anything. There's not one photo of them ever smoking. Not one. But they're coming to me telling me they want to build a marijuana brand. I just don't, I don't see the connection. Mike was different. Mike was totally different. He came in heavy-handed, smoking hard. He visited all my locations. Not one time did he say no to anybody. He smoked with everybody in his path. Anything in his path, a wax, cake, rosin, flour. I mean, it was to the point where I told my guys, just stop putting stuff in front of Mike, bro. You guys know he's not going to say no, you know, but, but I get it. Everybody wants to say they smoked with Mike. And I really appreciated about that. I really did. I have a lot of uh, celebrities and a lot of athletes that come in that ask for them not to be taking pictures of, that ask they don't want attention. Mike wasn't that. Mike stopped at everybody. He smoked with everybody, shook everybody's hand. He was a real genuine person. He's really about the culture. What, what we're doing with him is really incredible. He's actually starting a movement with athletes to, to let athletes know that there's another option out there, which is marijuana, as opposed to opiates. And he's real big into the CTE with athletes and stuff like that. He's, he's starting this, this research and development with Tyson Ranch, and some of our product is in that in the process of being researched with it. So he's doing these really cool things that a lot of people are navigating to him too. A lot of different athletes, different a lot of people from, from just different areas of, of, of every part of life there is. Um, and Mike just brings that. He gravitates people to him. He smokes with everybody. I believe that marijuana is the glue. So I believe that everybody ties that in with Mike and saying, hey, man, let's just smoke. And then all these good conversations come up. The topic of conversations are always good with them. His whole team is, is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was just really excited to do the deal with him. And it was really it made it 10 times better to know that he was a good guy, a genuine guy, loves smoking weed. Now he has his, uh, his, hot, po his, hot, his uh, hot boxing podcast, which everybody just wants to be on there and smoke with Mike. I mean, that's it. Just bullshit with Mike. Talk about some real stuff. Have some fun. So it's just a real genuine thing. And I appreciate the fact that he's true to who he is. He smokes all day. His character is, like, is, like, is like exactly from what you see it on TV. He's such a real person. I don't think that there's any part of Mike that's fake. I really honestly don't. And so that's what works well with us is because I believe my family isn't that either. We're not smoking mirrors. Mike isn't either. You get from Mike what it is. If you don't like it, then that's fine. He doesn't care about that. He's always going to be Mike. If you don't like me and my family, that's that's fine also. You know, we're not looking 
for anybody's approval for anything. And I don't believe Mike is either. I believe that he passed that a long time ago. And I love to do business with him. I love to smoke with him. He's such a, an authentic, real person. And we have so many big things planned for us that unfortunately we couldn't do last year because of COVID. Uh, but hopefully this year, hopefully the road reopens and now we can get back into this, these events that we were having with them and a lot of this cool stuff that we have built up and, and for, for the people out there to see. And I'm hoping that we can get to that this year. I have yet to smoke with Mike. I haven't smoked with him yet. We got we to gotta make that happen, Shop. We got to make it happen. I'd also like to do that. Just just saying. <laughs> just, just FYI. I feel like the group will get bigger and bigger. Because everybody's going to want to do that one day. So uh, that one we day. Just, yeah. We, we just got to have Mike come over one day and plan a 24-hour period. So that way he can just hang out with us and chill out and smoke some weed and talk some cool stuff. You know? Amazing. Amazing. So, Shavo, so on that note, and I talked about it a little bit earlier, but but what is some advice you'd give to a celebrity or a musician or an artist that wants to get into the cannabis space? Don't do it. Um, because <laughs> usually they're bullshit. Like we said, you know, there's a lot of people that think that it's like one of those industries that if you're famous, you can put your name on it and everyone's going to buy it. Well, maybe the first time, but then people will catch on. This isn't the right smoke. This is some whack ass Billy. What do you call it? Um, when it's, B, like B grade, B mids, you know, these are mids and most of them are mids, man. I've tasted, a, there's only a few I can count on one hand that are actually good. Like, be real, his shit's really good. I dig his, insane, the, the Dr. Green Thumb stuff. But there's a lot of people that just don't do it right. They just kind of, so my biggest advice would be, well, is do it correctly. Know what's going into your jars. Be a part of it. If you're not a part of the culture, don't do it. If you are and it really means something to you, then go for it. But stay true to it. Keep the passion alive and make sure you know what's in your jars. That's number one, man. That will grow your brand. That's what I do. Do it yourself. Don't expect it to be done because it's not going to be done by anyone else. Shovel, shovel is his built-in quality control. That's what Shavo is. He is the built-in quality control. <laughs> and a lot of celebrity brands, a lot of celebrity brands appoint that to someone. I, I've never, Chavo's never done that. No. Chavo's never told me, hey, this is my guy. Oh, He's really? the guy that's going to, no, 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 sign off for me. He's never said that. He said, I'm going to sign off for me. And today I have a lot of these celebrities that say, hey, my West Coast guy, he's going to be the guy that signs off on everything for me because he has the eye and he knows the taste. Like, it's really unfortunate that that's how they're trying to build the brand. So Shavo has something that most brands don't, which is him actually caring. He has the passion and he has this built-in quality control that he knows is his specifications and if it's not it's not going in his jar you can't find someone saying that this happened to 22 red there was bad it was there was a seed that was it just hasn't happened that's because we're there doing it in arizona in nevada and in uh, california and uh, that's why the scaling is i take longer to do it he's right you need to take longer you have to build it right in every state you know arizona's been going since february of last year 2020 I could have moved on. They got it done, but I'm still checking it out. I'm still making sure every pound is the right pound. Every When they tell me we have this new strain and I have to I have to go make sure it's the right strain and make sure whenever they say it's the strain, it's that strain. And they're not just showing me something and putting something else. Um, I have people out there buying it that I know they don't know about. And, buying and, and, it, and, and that's a lot easier it. said than done, right? It sounds so obvious. You're saying quality control, but like it's kind of almost that movie, The Founder, if you saw that where people just don't even realize how important that really is. It's the number one thing when you have a brand, bro. It's uh, you, of course you have to have a good business sense. You have to have a good business model. You have to have good people working. You have to put a good team together. But if you don't, if the quality is not good, it doesn't matter. Your team's going to fall apart. 
Because this is about quality. So, this is your yeah. it's, it's like having bad alcohol. It's like having a brand saying this is premium. You're selling it next to something amazing, but it's not. And the the, the one that loves the amazing McKellen or whatever, the blue label, is going to know that that whiskey that you just put in next to the blue label is not up to par. And it's just you're going to be laughed at at some point. One bottle, no more. Uh, one eighth, no more. I want people to buy that one eighth, then want to buy an ounce. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of that whiskey. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. my partner Josh always says that, you know, the, the celebrity brands, it's a gimmick. And like, you know, even with the stuff that we do, we got to be really careful because they'll buy it once, of course, but they'll never buy it again. You That's know? another so, reason why my brand is not called any, my name's not on the brand. I, I didn't want it to be a celebrity brand. Just because I happen to be playing in a rock band that became big doesn't mean my brand has to revolve around that. I, I, I named it 22 Red because it has a meaning to me. It was, you know, the first people that wanted to brand us and stuff, all their names were like Shavo Select and Yo Shavo and Shavo's Taste. And no, no that's yeah, not, yeah. I want well, to be bigger yeah. than me at some point, you know? So, so, so Shavo, I mean, you are one of the most successful musicians of all time. You know, do you believe yeah. that maybe cannabis is what you might be known for? Like, will cannabis maybe be bigger than music for you eventually or? I don't know if I'll be known for it, but I wouldn't mind the brand to be bigger than me. You know, it's it's its own thing now, you know, and I'm helping it become what it's going to be. But I don't compare because I'm still writing music. I'm still playing music with North Kingsley. Uh, 22 Red is not only cannabis either. I kind of developed a lifestyle brand, uh, dropping music since August off of the brand. Uh, we have really nice apparel, not just merch with our name on it, but apparel that you would dress in, you would wear every day, just like you would wear any other brand that you like to wear. Um, so I kind of, it's all about quality and also having cool things that other people don't do. You know, we have this new thing coming up called Framed and I'm focusing on artists. Um, I love to give credit where credit is due and artists inspire me. So it's not like we're going to make money off of it, but I just want to have another platform for artists to be seen and 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 appreciate that. And why not make 22 Red that platform also, you know? So it's more than just being a cannabis brand for me. It's about developing and introducing new things to people, you know, that um, that are into quality, whether it be music or weed, you know? I love it. So, so my final question is really this. Okay, so both of you guys have very different perspectives and backgrounds, right? And yet you're hyper-focused on cannabis. Can you give us some predictions of where you think this is going? Like cultivation, extraction, distribution, retail brands, I don't care. Any, I wanna, I wanna leave us with some predictions. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I, think, that, I think that moving forward, um, we already have a few more years until the big boys get involved. You know, I think we all know who we're talking about. Um, you know, there's only a, a few less than that, you know, until, so they get involved and, and they start really dominating the industry. So, you know, I see our window of opportunity getting smaller and smaller in order for us to get all of our ducks in order, you know, um, and I know them. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% transparency. I, I know who's coming. I've talked to them already. They've already talked to us. We know what's on the way. These people are buying up acres and acres and acres and mountains. They're buying up mountains. They're buying up uh, corporate offices. They're all buying this up and they're placing it there right now and not using it for a reason. And we're not stupid to know that that reason isn't going to come within the next two to three years. So we know that there's a big play out there that I believe, again, is gonna fall in the same parallel as the federal guidelines. And then when that happens and the feds drop that, 
than all these other big companies that were willing to, to now come into the space are going to dominate. Unfortunately, they really will. They have more resources than we do. They have more money than we do. They're open checkbook money. You know, my family never has that money, you know? And so we got to get ready for that moment. And everything right now that we're doing is leading us to that. I think that 75% of the brands will dwindle away in the next two years. Me personally, I feel like three quarters of them aren't going to last through this. There was a few waves. The first wave was all the brands that had all the money in the world that wanted to be part of the initial launch, right? Me and my family chose not to be in that wave because we, again, we didn't feel like we needed to spend 150 grand a month on marketing to compete with people because we know our product would speak for itself. So there was that wave of that initial. Then I, then I kind of feel there was another wave with the, the COVID. COVID kind of cleared out some of the playing field because businesses weren't structured to withstand COVID. They, they really weren't. This, this was a smoking mirrors game. And, and, and as COVID happened, there was less money in the market. Uh, investors got smarter and they stopped putting in that monopoly money, I call it. They stopped putting in that money that they were just feeding, feeding to these guys and guys were burning through it, burning through it and burning through it. And investors got smart and they stopped that. So the last year, this last year that I know, investors just completely stopped putting money into projects. Now that means that 60% of the projects stopped and now they're up for sale. So another six months from now, they're, they're gonna be more of those projects are gonna be for sale. So now you have that initial wave of people that were willing to put all this money into the space. Now stop because now these investors stop putting money in. Now they stop mid project or some of them haven't even started. I've walked into plenty of buildings that have licensing for three years that are a shower of 20, 30, 40, 50,000 square feet that are just a shower with the license that never got a plant in there, that never got a retail going. I don't know what the plan is for them, but that wave is still going. The first wave, the COVID wave, I believe there's probably one more wave that this industry is going to see before the big boys get here. And I believe that's gonna be the last wave that knocks out all the little small guys still that we're still holding on by a thin thread and it's just gonna knock them off. Now you're gonna be left with those companies like myself and the bigger companies that actually are doing it right, that are actually gonna be able to compete with the big guys. Not saying that we're on their level, but we're gonna be able to compete. And at that point, the big guys are gonna realize that we're a necessity in this marketplace. That the guys that are still here, people like my family and the 10 other companies in California that I believe are gonna be dominating the market, they're gonna realize that we're a necessity and they're going to need to work with us at some point. In some matter of fashion, they're going to need to work with us. Not say they're going to buy us out, but they're going to understand that there's a value that we bring to this market and that we created it for ourselves. And they're gonna come in and they're not gonna have any of that. They're not gonna have the experience, the know-how or any of that. We've been offered many times over for people to buy our business today, many times over. But what comes with that offer is also, you have to stick with the business branding for 10 years because we don't know what we're doing. We have no idea how to operate this. We're not growers. So we need you to stay in the business so we're gonna buy your business, name a salary, and we need you to stay on 10 years, not compete clause. And I say, this defeats the whole purpose, guys. Why would I ever sell my business if, if, if I'm gonna run it anyways? So I believe that these big guys that are gonna come in are gonna offer me the same type of deal somewhere along the lines and say, hey man, we're gonna buy your business out for tenfold of what it's worth, what you're making, but we also need you to come with it. Um, so we're going to have to be ready for that. And I, and I pray that like we get a good partner one day. I pray that we do get an open check with guy, but we haven't found that guy today, you know, and maybe it's never going to happen. Maybe my family has continued doing this the way that we've done it, you know, our style and, and the way that we have to do it. But I would really hope one day there is a smart investor out there who has boatloads of money that really understands the passion, the effort, the dreams and the goals that my family does. And we're aligned a hundred percent because I can't be aligned 90% with those people. I cannot.
I cannot take a check from somebody today just for money and, and think that that will end well. I know those partnerships don't make it. So, so to your to, to answer your question, Rama, I see my prediction is that we have two to three more years of this, of the little guys getting their stuff together. By then, the big guys are going to come in. They're going to wipe out all those little categories of distributors and all these guys. I probably see maybe less than five real cultivators in, in California running the market. And I probably see less than probably 10, 15 to 10 distributors that really run the market. Um, and at the end of the day, man, you know, I know marketing is a big thing, but my family really hasn't focused on that. We think that the proof's in the pudding. We believe that our product can speak for ourselves. So I know there's a few other people in the industry that believe that. And I, I think those are going to be the guys that last in this, you know? And, and again, I don't know if you see that, Shavo, but, you know, what, what do you think? I agree with you 100%. There's also the way of looking, because you're looking at it through growing and distribution. I also see a lot of the brands that are marketing, that are doing what they're doing. I see a lot of them falling off. I see only brands that do it correctly. They scale right. They do it correct with the right quality, with the right people. And ones that also have a different type of life. It's just, they're not just wheat to sale to, you know, they actually have a brand going on and have built their brand correctly. Brands will last if they've done correct. And uh, so that's my prediction. But I do agree in the next two to three years, the big boys will be coming in and you need to set it up right for that point or else you're going to be one of the ones, not you specifically, the brand that the brands are the grows and the distros that don't set up for that are the ones that are going to fall that you're like you're saying. So yes, agreed with your mentality. You need to have a big brand, a brand that actually has some substantial something to offer or else you're going to be falling through the cracks. Amazing. Guys, thank you so much for the time today. That was incredible. Really, really, really appreciate it.